Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Hit Chat Chit Chat. I'm your host, Connor Reynolds. Beside or below me, depending on what camera you're seeing, we have our co-host, JP Fashone. JP, how you doing, sir? Good, good. Good, good. Excited to be back at it. Ready to go. We got some interesting topics today. <laughs> Ooh, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for it. Now, our the first thing that we're going to touch on is going to be from a past podcast that we had a couple weeks ago where we went through and we actually looked at a video that someone uh, put out and we kind of dissected it a little bit, uh, talked about the context of what that video is and what it was missing to actually make it a full video uh, to where there's you know actual understanding. And so there has been a uh, new video that has been released and kind of describing a little bit more about what that previous video was lacking. And so we're going to start off watching this video first, uh, and then we're going to get into our main topic of the day. So without further ado, let me get this thing up and running so that way we can watch this bad boy. I did a post recently where I spoke about the answers I got when I picked different MLB scouts' brains about what they're looking for when they're evaluating a hitter. We talked about how these scouts are looking for their swagger and looking for their presence in the box. I think a lot of people misconstrue that for what they're wearing, what type of swagger as in like the change that they might have on or the batting gloves that they're wearing. Swagger and confidence and presence, that is, hey, when you step in the box, what's our posture look like? What's our facial expression look like? What is the aura that you're exuding. And if you've ever played the game, you know that's something that can be felt and that can be experienced. And that's something that it makes an impact. If you are constantly in a state where you're worried about your performance, you're worried about failing, you're nervous, you're gripping the bat too tight, that shows too. And that, if anything, lends to give confidence to the defense a little bit more, the pitcher a little bit more, because you're having such a hard time zoning into that that confidence and that easy way of, uh, of hitting and just honestly looking like you belong in the batter's box, you belong in that game. One other point that I would like to make is that if an MLB scout is looking at you, we are not referencing athletes who need massive mechanical adjustments or need massive tweaks to their swing or need massive strength training adjustments. If an MLB scout is watching hitters, there is an understanding that they're looking at the top percent of the population of athletes. And there are certain things that it's assumed that are already taken care of. So uh, after watching and listening to that video, JP, any comments, uh, thoughts, concerns? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, like she said, uh, and like we talked about, uh, like MLB scouts are not looking at Joe Schmo, high school, college dude. Uh, they're looking at the dudes that are big and fast and strong and like do all the, do all the things, right? Um, and I think like the clarity that she provides of like the swagger is uh, an important note because a lot of scouts aren't going to see dudes play 100 games. They're just not going to get a huge sample size. And so that idea of like, do you have a presence in the box? Do you do you look like you, you're there normally? Like do you act like this is just kind of a normal thing for you? Do you have that type of thing is really important uh, for scouts because they might be going to look at a kid and he just has a great day, but he looks, he looks terrified. He looks surprised that he's doing really well. Uh, and like, that's going to be a red flag. So I thought it was a good video to kind of like clarify um, some of the points of contention that I'm sure she faced in the comments section of 
and and kind of a lot of things that we we had talked about and mentioned. I think it's almost feels as if I don't know if I'm tuning our horn a little too much. It almost feels as if that was a direct reply to what you had brought up in the one podcast. Like literally, if you're a if you have an MLB scout looking at you, obviously we don't have a lot of major deficiencies such as weight, such as bat speed, such as rotation acceleration, such as attack angle, like. If you if you're getting looked at at this point and by that caliber of scouts, there is a baseline of information that is already known, and so then finding out that piece of how do they look in the box. My favorite comment though was the facial expressions. Like, yeah, <laughs> like I don't know. Like, do you, what if the kid's like up there like biting his lip? Like, yeah, like is that like I don't know. Like Weird. that one, I, I was like. I, what right. kind of facial expression <laughs> would tell you that this guy's really good? <laughs> that that's the one where I was like, um, all right, that seems like a stretch. Yeah. But I mean, pretty yeah. much like exactly what she's saying There's is body what, language. Yeah. That's what we were saying is the, that's that was the mixing mixing context and the pieces that she brings up at the end is the exit velocity. It is the bass be like the things that she says is already known, but she didn't mention are the exact same things that was the main highlight and point of her first video is that scouts don't care about these numbers. It's not that scouts don't care about those numbers, is that scouts use those numbers, I feel, as a filter system to get rid of all the other, you know, scrubs. And then now they're looking at the primo guys at the top. Then out of those pre like primo guys, how many of those guys then have the swagger, then have the presence? And that was that missing context that we had talked about. I mean, the that one podcast. Yeah, which is you know data, whether it's uh, survey data like she used or like raw data like you know actual metrics and numbers. Uh, like the selection bias is a real is a real thing. Like her selection bias of like these are MLB scouts uh, is is a real thing. It's the same thing if you're looking at a data set like you you have selected this set of data for a reason and like that's going to take out some broader context uh to the general public so definitely something to keep in mind selection bias is real um that i love um and now we're kind of raking into our next topic um this topic we're going to look to talk about is the relationship of the athlete the instructor and their coach um, whether this is a high school coach, travel ball coach, college coach, youth coach, whatever it is. Um, we're at the point where we have the fall season ending. We have where a lot of guys are going to start getting into facilities to start training. Um, and then you have guys that are going to be going, whether it's in uh, college, you go back in January uh, and you're hitting with your, you know, what team you know is going to be your team. Uh, in high school, all the kids, you're not allowed to make you know, cuts or anything like that until tryouts here in Colorado. Tryouts are uh, the last week of February, first week of March. So in January, you're not allowed to cut kids. So everyone's allowed to come out, but you are working with your uh, like high school or whether you're on a travel ball team. Um, the, the relationship of these three, uh, you know, kind of entities, it's a massive one. And it's one of those where it can be very delicate. Um what have you noticed, JP, uh, going through? Because, I mean, you've been a player. 
You've also been a college coach, um, a summer ball coach, and now you're also an instructor. So for you, someone that has worn all three hats, what have you experienced when it comes to this relationship, either highs, lows, uh, anything like that? Yeah, uh, like you said, it's it's a delicate balance at times. Um, I think when you have, in general, when you have a group of people trying to accomplish a goal together, it doesn't matter whether it's the same goal or different goals. And in this case, like the goal for all three uh, parties is to make the athlete the best athlete possible. Um, but getting people to work together and communicate effectively is is always a difficult challenge. And I think it's where athletes get get caught up quite often because they value both opinions uh, from the coach and from the trainer um, really highly. And I think when when coaches lose sight of that ultimate goal of uh, getting the athlete better and not necessarily doing it my way, um, but doing it doing it the best way, the most effective way possible, uh, is where I've seen the most success. Um, as a player, I probably tended towards like uh, f off coach, like my my hitting coach knows everything type of type of deal. Um, and as as a coach, I probably did the same thing a little bit more often than I'm proud of, where it's just like, your hitting coach doesn't know anything. Like, you're going to do it this way. Um, and now as a trainer, I, I feel like I've kind of found a little bit more of a middle ground. Uh, not not necessarily because I'm a trainer, but because I'm probably just a little bit older and wiser. Um, uh, uh, a little bit happy medium where when guys, you know, leave here uh, and, and I'm working with them online, I think the big big thing I try and point out to them is like, hey, your coach is going to be the guy that's going to set the lineup. Your coach is going to be the guy that's in charge of you and your career. Um, and so whatever we want to work on, whatever we think is correct has to be framed around whatever they're doing. Um, so as an example, I had a guy that at a pretty good D1 school and uh, he we'd really worked on like keeping his hands back and like turning his torso and kind of keeping that upper body connection and gets to school and like the coach is big, big old school, hands inside the ball, um, kind of drive it the other way, which is fine. Um, I think uh, I think every everybody has some, there's some alignment somewhere. You know what I mean? Like every coach kind of understands how to hit everybody kind of understands how to throw so i think my job now and kind of how i see it is to take that okay coach wants hands inside the ball and drive it the other way how do i take that and translate it to what we've been working on how do i make it fit not necessarily in my mind but how do i make it fit in the athlete's mind so when he goes out there he's gonna have the confidence and the understanding to go okay i'm getting told this ap told me this other thing what do i do now and I just want him to be able to answer that question as quickly as possible, um, because oftentimes their coach isn't necessarily wrong. Like you know, the kid, the kid, in the example like tends to lose posture, pull off, and just hit a bunch of snap up ground balls to the pole side. Yeah, definitely stay inside the ball and hit it the other way for sure. But how we do that, how I go about training that versus how the coach goes about training it might be different. But if I can give the athlete a perspective or an understanding. Uh, to be able to kind of operate in their coach's environment and feel like they're still getting a lot out of it, uh, then I think that's kind of my my role in facilitating that. 
I like how you use the words translate. Um, and I actually, I, I use that all the time as well. Um, I've gone through and I, I've been able to have the pleasure of wearing all three hats. Um, my coach's hat was not at the level of your coach's hat. Um, but still, I've gone through, I've coached at the high school, uh, at actual high schools, and I've also coached uh, travel teams. So uh, I have been a player, I'm now a full-time instructor, uh, where that's the only thing I'm looking at. And then also I've been, you know, a full-time coach. And so for me, I, I feel perspective is the number one thing that I think it's lost in a lot of the, a lot of the conversations. And so like, just like right there. So, um, you know, the, the coach has a philosophy of, you know, we're hitting it to the right side, we're keeping our hands in. Um, and you as the instructor, you're not saying that that's wrong, but when you, the athlete comes from, you know, working with you and let's say they, you know, four times they do a really good job keeping connected, keeping that posture and staying, uh, keeping with the rotation. And then there's that one time where they don't, I feel that for some coaches, they will see that and go, ah, there's the swing that he's training versus going, ah, that's the issue this kid has had since I have known him. And last time he went five of five going, you know, snap hooks. And now he only went one of five, but he still did it. And I know that that is what they're training. Or is the fact of the coach not necessarily using the same terminology. And that's where I think that translation piece comes in really well. Because I mean, honestly, with what you teach, what I teach, the only, and actually what I think the most efficient way to keep your hands inside of the ball is how we teach to hit. Like, I don't see if your hands are staying essentially connected to the outside of your backside shoulder. That is as much of an inside swing as I can humanly have. And so that piece of what we're looking for um, from the instructor side and then what the coaches see, uh, those perspectives, I think, are the ones that get lost and where, like, exactly like you said, it's not that we have different goals for the player. It's how we're getting there and why we're getting there. That's what I think will change. And where you have a coach, that coach is not necessarily trying to get that player's swing to be the best. That coach is trying to get that player to produce the best. And a lot of the time, I feel like that's where we, I mean, we talk about it and Driveline has a big thing about skill, uh, skills that scale. Um, the same thing happens at the 8U level. When you have a coach saying, you know, for us to win right now, we have to hit, you know, chopping ground balls because the defense can't feel the uh, ground ball. Uh, and so that's where the coach isn't looking at, all right, how do I make this player you know, best for the long term, that is, all right, I need to win right here, right now. And that's just the different perspectives. One person is being hired or paid uh, based on the, the winning record. And the other person is getting paid based on that player's individual performance. And yeah. so being able to give players those translation keys so that way when they do go off and it's like, all right, when my coach says, I want you to hit it to the right side, what he actually is trying to tell me is that I need to stay inside the ball. Okay, boom. And that's been the big piece for me is teaching my players, my my hitters that, hey, like I know your what your coach says. I know your coach's cue is different than what my cue is for you. 
but it's the same reel. Like you, the feels might be different, but at the end of the day, it's the same reel. And so how do I make it to where when the other coach gives them the cue that I don't use, how do we tie that into the cue that I use? So that way that athlete is the translator. It's like, all right, so, um, you know, they're telling me Chinese, I'm spinning it out in English. All right, that person is the middle. They're hearing the one coach speak Chinese and then they're taking it and putting it out in uh, English. Like for me, that is the big piece uh, of what I think starts original um, kind of indifferences is that piece. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, does the instructor say, all right, when your coach says this, this is what he means? Uh, is the ego willing to be dropped to say like, you know, it's not that I'm right. It's that we're just saying it different ways. Or is it the coach saying, hey, your instructor's wrong? I, I think that's where it will kind of come into. Um, sometimes you have, you know, colleges or, or coaches that are um, able to kind of put that down and understand the translation and be that mediator. Um, I feel I was able to do that because, again, you know, I've worn all the hats. Uh, JP, you've probably been able to do the same where it's like, you know, if I was your coach, I understand what he is saying. Like we had a conversation offline of, you know, one athlete comes in and saying this one thing, you know, this is what my coaches are feeling and saying. It's like, all right. So then you reach out to the coach and it's like, well, no, that's not what we're saying at all. We're actually saying this. And sometimes that can get lost in translation. And so it's one of those where it's like, all right, well, instructor to coach, now we're on the same page. Uh, you know, there isn't a loss of translation. Um, some coaches are able to pick up the phone and have that phone call. Some instructors are able to do that. Um, and some coaches will decline the phone call and some instructors will decline the phone call. It, it all just kind of comes around to uh, the perspective uh, of the coach uh, and how much are they willing to listen or not adapt, but understand uh, kind of the other side. Yeah, and from the coaches and training perspective, I think where a lot of trainers and coaches get lost is like we we tend to forget um, that athletes have lives outside of our cage, <laughs> outside of our field, outside of our program, and uh, and at the end of the day, like, I, I I genuinely refuse to believe that there are a large percentage of coaches that are trying actively trying to make athletes worse or like perform worse. This just, I, I don't, I might disagree with other people's training perspectives. I might disagree with somebody when they tell me like bat speed doesn't matter, but like, I don't think they're saying that to like try and make kids worse. I think they're saying that because they like genuinely believe like that's the better route for this athlete. And where coaches and coaches and trainers get lost is like, we forget that it, it comes off as like, oh, like this athlete's telling me I'm wrong. Uh, and it's not necessarily like, hey, like you're wrong. It's this, guy, this other person is trying to help this kid, you know, be the best athlete he can be. And he might be doing it a little different. Um, and at some point, somebody's got to kind of give. Uh, and in my head, I think, like I, like I said, I, I tell athletes, like the coaches that do this, that's the lineup. Like you, you're in his program. Uh, I'm not there. I don't know what practice looks like. I don't know what your BP looked like yesterday. I don't know what you've been doing in the cage. I have no idea. I am the dude on the outside that gets to just like kind of bounce ideas uh, with you. So uh, I typically now as the trainer, I'm the guy that's kind of like, okay, if the coach wants you to go no stride with two strikes, 
I think that's ridiculous to just like mandate no stride but two strikes. But if that's what he wants and that's the program you're in, cool. We're going to do some no stride stuff. Like we're going to figure out how to make that work. Um, and I think, I, I think we just lose track of everybody has the same goal. And our job as coaches isn't to tell a kid how to, how to do things. Our job as coaches is to put them in the right headspace to allow them to perform to the best of their ability. And, and, if you get a kid that's caught between their trainer and their coach and they're constantly having to make this kind of uh, decision all the time, they lose some of that swagger that she's talking about. They lose some of that confidence because the brain is in two different places. They can't be where their feet are. Uh, they kind of get lost in that. So the, the better we can do as coaches to kind of alleviate some of that anxiety, I think oftentimes whether uh, it's the right direction to go training-wise uh, or it's the most perfect thing to do is most of the time irrelevant and and placed below what's best for for the athlete uh, when it comes to like getting in the box and getting ready to go. I mean, even I, I put out a video on Instagram a while ago, and I can I'll actually look to repost it, that here on my uh, Instagram fast underscore RBI. Go check it out. Um, it was talking about like just some of the normal hitting cues that you hear coaches say all the time, but they never explain what they mean. Um, you know, one of my favorites is uh, hit it the other way. Let the ball travel. It's like, all right. Like, I think I've probably heard that mm, infinite amount of times uh, with me being a player and just being a coach around batting practice or a game or whatever it is. Um, and, and I have at first I would hear that and I'm like, yeah, like dude's way out. The dude's early, like whatever it is. And then I, I started stopping and it's like, all right, this is one of the biggest things that I, I think has kind of changed my perspective as a, as a coach. And if there are any coaches out there that are not sure about, you know, why your kids don't listen. If you feel like, uh, they, they, they're never listening to you or you're always having to explain things over and over, um, the big thing that I've jumped to is asking kids, like, when you hear that, what does that mean to you? And the amount of times that I've seen a kid get told like, Hey, let it travel, hit it the other way. And then go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I ask them like, what does that mean to you? How do you do that? And they're just like, I don't know. It's like, all right. So you were told to do something. You're like, yeah, I got that. And you didn't know what they were asking. And then the kid gets upset because then the coach is going, well, hey, he just never listens. He just doesn't do that. And then the yeah. kid's like, well, I was trying. And then that's where you get that disconnect. And that's when you start to get that. Mm -mm -mm. And for me as an instructor, I've started really taking a step back and going like, all right, when I say this, for one kid, they will interpret it this way. For another kid, it'll interpret different. If you have a kid that's just extremely externally cued, um, swing is really good. It's just like their timing they struggle with sometimes here or there or whatever it is. Like, you know, hitting it the other way is an amazing cue. For the kid that doesn't know why he can't hit it the other way, just continuously saying over and over and over, hit it the other way is not going to help. And so understanding that, I think that baseline of being able to teach a kid, you know, hey, when your coach is says like, let it travel or hit it the other way, how we do that is, at first, let's, let's change when we start our load. 
Like, when do you start your load? And the amount of times I've asked that and I had a kid go, I don't know. It's like, oh, it's almost like that that might be the issue. Okay. Like, and then just slowly like breaking it down from that because kids don't know what they don't know. And so thinking that they know what they don't know not being willing to dive into it more. And I I mean, I'm not just saying coaches, like I've seen instructors and trainers do this as well. Um, but for me, that's like where I try and teach my guys. Like, all right, when your coach says this, this is what they mean. This is how we can execute that. And I feel like that's a piece that maybe it's just in my area. Um, a lot of the coaches struggle with being able to go the extra step of explaining that. And so for my guys that I've walked them through that, that's been the light bulb that's made things click and understand. And so then that's where I would look to say is like, I think this relationship of the instructor, the athlete and the coach, it's so important. And for, you need, I think all three to be able to work in unison. Um, And if if I was to choose one of them for not to work in unison, I would honestly choose the instructor and the coach to be on the same page and the athlete not. Because then at least it's a consistent um, like front, whether that kid goes to the training or whether that kid goes to practice, it's united. It's the same thing. But when you have the coach and the player on the same page, but not the instructor, um, that can make things a little bit difficult. But that's honestly an easy fix. You fire the instructor. It's yeah. when it's the coach and that is not on the same page as the instructor and the player, that to me is when things can get difficult because the instructor is the hired one, right? The instructor is the one that the kid chooses to pay. The kid chooses to go there. Whereas if it's a high school coach or the college coach, they don't necessarily every day choose to go to that. Now they might, but they don't choose to do it if they don't want to do it you know what i'm saying and so when that is what is broken that is the piece that as the athlete that is to in my opinion the less growing of the athlete than all three of those because now the athlete has to choose now that athlete has to make a decision um i was uh I had a conversation about this not too long ago, very, very, very recent. Um, and I, I threw out an example of, let's say that kid is at practice, right? At their high school practice, college practice, summer team practice, travel team practice, whatever it is. If that kid's out there practicing, let's say they're taking some swings. And at their last hitting session, their instructor told them like, hey, you know, here's some really good drills for you to try and do during your warm up." Well, if that kid goes and is at their team practice and is doing those warm-ups, if that is anything different or not maybe what that coach has taught that player to do, that coach is going to come over and he's like, hey, like, why are you doing this? Right then and there, that player has to make a decision. Do I tell my coach who is not on the same page as my instructor that I'm doing my instructor stuff at their team practice, even though this is just me doing it on my own? It's not that... I am ignoring what my coach has told me to do, which has happened in the past to me. And I will say one of the most frustrating things is when a kid is not even willing to like listen or hear what drill you are saying they need to do because their coach told them this, that, or that. But I even was like, all right, fuck, like whatever. Like 
at least is at least you're not making an uneducated decision right here. Like at least there is some type of uh, uh, education going on behind this decision. I can respect that. Now, why you won't listen to what I'm offering? That's a whole different piece, and we can get to that uh, on another potty. But like that puts that kid in that box of like, and if I say I'm not doing his stuff, like now I'm lying to my coach and to put a kid in that position where they feel like they have to pick who they like respect more. And that's where I hate, I hate the idea. I was thinking about this last night. I hate the idea of like his stuff, their stuff, like, you know, the, 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 the branding of baseball never made sense to me. Cause like, it's not the trainer's swing. It's not the trainer's drill. It's not like, like as a train, like I know I, I am too young to have been around long enough to make up my own stuff. Like there's nothing I do that has not been ripped, stolen without fail from everybody else. Like we've talked about in podcasts before, like weighted bats, weighted balls, like, like weighted implement training is not new. Like, like external cueing is not new. Like all this stuff, the offset open hookums, like any drill I've done in my entire life is not my own creation. So to like brand it as like this drill, this person's drill, or that person's drill, it just kind of seems ridiculous to me. But what I loved is what you said about like the education piece of like, yes, that coach is going to come up to that kid and he's going to say, what are you doing? And the, the response I want to hear from the athlete, and I think the response coaches should expect from athletes more often is not what he's doing. It's why he's doing it. If he, whether he's listening to a trainer, a parent, a coach, wherever he's getting this information from, if he can get to the point that he can explain to the coach why he's doing what he's doing, and not in a way that's like, well, this is what this person told me I needed to do. To actually understand. That, yes, this is what I'm doing to fix these issues that I have. If he can do that, 95% of the time, the coach isn't going to have a problem. He's not going to have a problem because he's going to get it. He's going to take that information. Like you said, he's going to take that information. He's going to turn it into his own language and he's going to roll with it because most of the time coaches are on the same page. Who needs to stay inside the ball? If, if he's doing a drill and the coach is like, hey, you got to get your hands inside the ball. And he he goes over and is like, why are you doing this drill? And the kid explains, hey, I'm doing this so I can like get inside the ball better and like hit balls the other way with a little bit more pop. The coach is going to be fine. He's going to be totally fine with that. But you're going to get that 5% of time where it's going to be some coach that like thinks he knows everything and he's going to want to do it his way. And as a trainer, I think you just kind of have to be okay with that. <laughs> Like I had, a, I had a high school kid message me today and uh, he said, hey, I thought it was the greatest question I've ever gotten. He goes, hey, my coaches don't like that I throw weighted balls. They told me I can't bring weighted balls to practice anymore to warm up because they think it's going to hurt my arm. Do you have any research articles to send me that I could give to them that could show that, hey, it's not going to hurt my arm because I do it like this and this. He wasn't asking like, hey, can you email my coach? It went, nothing like that. He was like, hey, can you provide me with the resources and information to maybe educate my coaches and try and convince them that it's okay for me? But 
if he comes back to me in a couple weeks and says, hey, they still won't let me throw weighted balls, I'm going to tell that kid, we're going to rewrite your throwing program to not include weighted balls. That's just, that's going to be it. Because at the end of the day, like I said, like that, it's that dude's program. I can make suggestions, but if that dude doesn't like you throwing weighted balls and we've done everything we can to educate you and your coach, then we're going to have to roll with it. Even though I don't think it's the best option for you. You can do weighted balls after practice at home and stuff like that. But like, we just got to get to that point. That education piece is just so critical. And it's, for me, I think it, and that's why I, I bring up, it is so if I had to pick any of those scenarios where only two people were on the same page, instructor and the the team coach, like, because then it's, like I said, it's a united front. But when you have one person that is, like I said, choosing to pay money to learn from this place and is choosing to take the time, energy, and effort to work with that place, and then to have the coach say, no, we're not going to do that, now you're putting that player because now, like, I'm assuming that player has gone through and has probably been using weighted balls for a while, and yeah. there is a comfortability factor in that. And if that's a part of his warm up, now you're taking that away. Now you have a kid that is mentally and physically not able to be in a place to compete at the highest level. Is that honestly like what you're trying to? Because now we're going back to the question of like, what's the ultimate goal? For us to make that player the best that they can. And so it's like, it's that piece of it for me where you have coaches like that that are not even willing to look at data, are not even willing to look at research. Like, that's the piece for me that is the most frustrating part because it puts that player at, at the biggest disservice. And it's not just the player, it's also that family. Like, if this if this kid's in college, that family is probably like baseball you ain't getting full rides like that family's probably having to put out money that family is probably having to travel a little bit to go see their kid play if it's in high school that family is having to make these decisions for this kid and you're essentially putting them in a place where it's like it's like cornering a a, a like a stray dog that's scared like if you get bit you shouldn't be surprised because you put that player in that position you put that dog in that position when you put a player in a spot where they're not able to mentally be at their full spot or physically be at their full spot, or if you're not even willing to listen to that player, because I mean, for me, this is the biggest piece of why I honestly do love travel ball is that you have all these players most likely going to different programs that all then come back to the same high school program and are able to take away not everything, but a little thing here, a little thing there. And if they can take something away from that travel organization and then something from that organization, some from that organization, the kids are going to filter out the bullshit. If they can come back to that coach and say like, hey, this program, we did this, this, and this, the first two things I hated, but that third, the one, ooh, and then you have another kid do the same thing. And then another kid do the same thing. And now you're essentially a potluck of, I'm assuming these travel organizations are going to have some knowledge of what they're talking about. Now you have a potluck of different organizations in your area and what the best things your players took away from that. If you're not willing to listen 
to what they have to say of what might help the program or what might help them, then that's when we go back to that original question of like, what is the end goal for you? Because I've I've met coaches that are in the Colorado Coaches Hall of Fame and I've been in there and they've changed their shit. And then you got guys that I don't know how much longer are going to be in the game and are saying it's my way or the highway. Exactly. Uh, yeah, who's I? Who's the Rams head coach? Losing it. Oh, uh, Sean McVay. Sean McVay. So it was an interview with Sean McVay after one of the games. He was talking about like their culture, uh, and I thought it was just such a good like one liner of just that. He goes. He said uh, like it can't. It, it's never. It can never be about who's right. It can always be. It has to be about what's right. right? It can't be about who's right. It has to be about what's right. And. That's really what what it comes down to is like you said if you're a, if you're a coach and you can't take some athlete's input, whether it's input from them or input from something that they heard from a trainer, if you can't take that on as like maybe that's a good option, uh, then it's no longer about what's right. It's no longer about what's right if you can't take it into account and. Like you said, it's just it's it's what's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is to make the athlete the best possible. So if they love this drill and it makes them feel like gold, but you think it's absolute eyewash, I don't I don't see it. I don't see an issue with letting them do it unless it's like physically causing them like injury risk to go up, or it's like an injury risk to others. Like unless it unless it. <laughs> Is, is gonna hurt somebody, then who cares? Let the kid feel good. You're still gonna have time to do all your other stuff. Let the kid feel good, like let him let him play his game. And the thing that has happened is that I've noticed that the the same programs coaches that have this issue are the same ones that when you ask them when when they go up to the player and like, oh you need to quit doing this drill, start doing this drill. I've had players ask that coach why. Yes. And that coach has not been able to explain why. And for me, like that is my, like when us as instructors, our sole thing that we do, the thing that pays our bills is knowing our shit and knowing why. And for me, the biggest thing that I do is I explain everything. Like, I I remember being the player that would always ask why and coaches would just get pissed at me. And I never really understood. Um, I think probably 60% of it was them being having someone younger than them ask why or a, a person in a player role ask a co uh, coach why. And I think the other 40% of why they would get mad is they didn't know. And so it's one of those where it's like all of a sudden they're put on the spot they just told the player not to do something that has been explained to them as we do this because of this and this and this and this. You're telling them not to do something that they have bought into, to do something that you told them to do. And you're telling, and the reason that they're supposed to listen to you is just because you were their coach at that moment. Um, newsflash coaches, each player will probably have like 30 coaches plus. Like if you yeah. go through your your you have the the freshman coach the freshman uh, the freshman assistant the JV if they don't have a C team the JV assistant the varsity the varsity assistant 
probably going to have a weight room guy in there, might have an instructor, travel ball teams, fall teams. Like there's so many coaches that are going on. And it's like, it, it, that's the piece to me that's the most frustrating is that they think that they're the only coach that they will ever have. And it's like, all right, well, you should just listen to me because I'm a coach. And it's like, that's not how this works, my guy. Like we can literally Google anything and find out the information. Like, whereas before yeah. it, that wasn't the case. And the you case. just yeah, have to trust. Of, yeah, the days of trust me, I'm the coach is over. And, and it should be done for good reason. Yeah. It's just like a terrible way to operate as a human being, like outside of baseball, <laughs> just in general, just <laughs> taking people's words for it because, you know, they said so. It's just a horrible way to operate. And I think that what fires me up more than anything is that I, I, I feel like I've experienced more athletes asking those questions um, than when I was playing. Uh, and I think it's just so good because I think coaching is slowly starting to catch on to the fact that our job is less about coaching performance and more about educating athletes to interpret information, figure out what's valuable, like understand what they can use uh, as an individual and less about telling them how to do things um, and, and giving them that gift of like interpretation and curiosity and asking why so much more valuable to them going forward, whether, you know, going forward in baseball, because they're going to have 30 coaches over the course of their baseball career and going forward into life when they just, they have to work for some dude and, and he's telling them something stupid and they have, they, they are comfortable enough, confident enough to be able to ask why, have that conversation and know when it's time to just shut the, <laughs> shut the F up and get Fuck the it, job. Say it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, like just, they're they've they're they have the ability to do that because they've had really good coaches in baseball that have been able to educate them through that process. A great example that I have, and this is just one example. And I actually I no, I have two examples because they're exact opposites. So I have one kid come in and he literally has an average attack angle of negative like five. Like everything is just killing worms, man. Like everything. And so we went through and I was like, all right, dude, like you're going to have to start with the bat on the ground. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, bat on the ground. That's where we're starting it. And I go, I want you to imagine you're in an elevator shaft and you're trying to hit it onto the fucking hundredth floor. I go now an elevator shaft. Does it go straight up or does it go sideways? And he's like straight up. And I go, oh, you see this? I, and I pointed at the, the hitting mat. I go, this is the elevator. Like you have to hit it as high as you can in this space. And once we got through that, his average attack angle got to uh, negative one. Better, <laughs> better. But at the end of the session, I went through and I was like, all right, man. Because I've been in the small career that I've had coaching. Um, it's wild the amount of... Um, coaches that have um, questioned what we do and why we do it. Ah, actually, I erased that. They do not ask why. They just question yeah. what we do because they're what not willing doing? to ask why. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I know the drill. I know to make sure that I walk this kid through and I'm like, all right, so why do you think we did that drill? 
and walking them through it. And we do takeaways at the end of every session. And I, for this gentleman, I was writing down takeaways. I was already so like, what are you taking away? And he says that I need to try and hit as many pop flies as possible. And I go, yes, but why? And he responded with, well, I hit the ball too much down. And for me to get more line drives, I need to think about hitting pop flies. And I go, I want to make sure that when a coach comes up and asks you like, hey, why are you starting with your bat on the ground? Like, why are you doing this? That is what we say. We don't say, well, my hitting coach told me to try and hit pop flies in an elevator shaft. No, we say, we, we educate. And then I've had the exact same opposite. Um, we just had a kid in here that his average attack angle is like 27. And so we're going through and I'm like, all right, brother, like we are chopping wood, baby. Like we are chopping it, chopping it, chopping it. Oak, birch, fucking the whole thing, baby. Yeah. And same exact thing. We walk through and I'm like, all right, like when your coach walks by and asks you why you're, you know, just killing worms, what are you going to say? And we walk through it. And it's, it's that piece of making sure that the player is educated. But the fact that, you know, I've been doing this for four years, the fact that I was able to catch on to that three years ago, um, I think it's disappointing because I, I feel that for someone to be a coach in that scenario, you know, I feel like you should be able to interpret that yourself. But it's also my job as the instructor to make sure that my athlete can interpret it themselves as well. And so that's the piece where it's like, it, it's frustrating to me to literally have a kid that has to either a make a choice do i listen to my head coach or do i listen to my instructor or to have it whereas like do i you know i'm tied up with this or that or you know the weighted balls during my warm-up that makes me feel as most prepared as possible like there's all these different things and like you said at the end of the day it, it shouldn't change the goal if it doesn't change the goal what why does it matter is it ego is it Oh, maybe sometimes there's there's jealousy involved. Uh, I, I don't know. Whatever it is, the relationship between the instructor, the athlete, and the team's coach, it's one of those where it's, it's needed. It's very needed. Me personally, I think the idea of not allowing instructors to be involved in player development while a player is at school um, – I feel like it's working backwards. Uh, I, Me personally as an instructor, I tell all of my players this, and I, I've tried reaching out to coaches and allowing them to know this. Um, I am as transparent as I humanly can be. We take notes at the end of every session. Those notes contain all of their hit tracks numbers, their averages, their maxes. Also has all of their blast motion numbers, their averages, their maxes. It has what the player did on the warm-up. Uh, and all of my players choose their own warm-up. I do not tell any of my players what warm-up they need to do. Uh, I watch um, from the outside. And if there's like something where I'm like, what in the world? I'll ask them, like, why are you choosing this to be a part of your warm-up? Um, and if they're not able to explain it, I'll tell them why I don't think it's very good. I've also had kids that I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? I'll go over and I'm like, hey, what are we doing here? And it's like, well, I'm trying to do blank, 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 blank. And it's like, Let's, hey, there we go. Because um, I mean, like when I was playing, if I felt like I was losing my barrel a lot, 
I would set up the tee and try and smoke ground balls to the third and short third baseman and shortstop. Now, if my hitting coach is walking by and sees me like hit a ground ball to shortstop and go like, yeah, he's gonna go like, what the hell's going on? But there's a purpose, there's a reason, and to make sure that these kids are having that, that's the massive point. And I just feel like there's too many coaches that are. And I also will say there are also instructors that will go through and say like, you know, I'm right. I'm, you're paying me to do this, like no matter what. And so I've gone through and I try and, I try and be as transparent as possible. I allow for coaches to know all of the players' blast motion information, all of their hit tracks information. I'll send them the links to our videos because we record every single lesson. They can watch, they can listen to what I'm saying. And I haven't had too many coaches take me up on it. And for me, that's the piece where I would get it. If you fully understand what we're doing and then you still don't buy in, there's nothing I can do about it. But if you're not even willing to attempt to get onto the same page as me, because, dude, I'll flip pages, I'll change chapters, like whatever I need to do to make sure we're all on the same page, I'll do. Um, so for me, that's the that would be the frustrating part. But again, like there are also instructors that are not willing to do that. And those are, you know, the ones where it's unfortunate and, you know, hopefully players, you'd stop going to those coaches maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, like I said, it's just both sides of the coin. I mean, it's trainers, coaches, it's all the same thing uh, at the end of the day. I I get, you know, my advice to, my advice to the athlete is, uh, listen to everything, ask as many questions as possible. Uh, and if you disagree and you run into that, that coach that just, it's my way or the highway, uh, and, and based on your assessment, you think he's wrong, do it when he's around and don't do it when he's not around, you know? Uh, and my advice to coaches is ask as many questions from your athletes as possible, because at the end of the day, like you said, their interpretation of the information is what's going to determine how successful they are. So if you don't understand where they're coming from and why they're doing something, uh, or or you find out they don't understand what they're doing or why they're doing it, uh, then those are both those are both problems that you need to address. And you never figure out if you have an issue unless you ask those questions. So uh, everybody needs to ask more questions and be willing to have those conversations. So that's the only way you get. That's the only way you get all three parties working together. It's massive, man. It's really important. And again, we have to remember what's the whole point of this? What's the whole purpose of this? Um, and if we're not able to all row the boat in the same direction, then I don't know, man. Uh, sometimes there's addition by subtraction. And I, I tell all of my guys, hey, whether it's me or any other coach, this is your career. And I, I tell all of my guys in their initial assessment, like, please tell me to fuck off if you think I need to fuck off. Like, 100%. it is your career. It is your swing. If I've got you doing something and you're not buying in, and again, this is where I think a lot of coaches might need to do, figure out why. Like, look in the mirror and go, okay, am I not explaining this drill how I am envisioning this drill? And that's why this player is not able to buy in. Or B, why does this player not like it? Um, I, I've started bringing up uh, salads uh recently it's my new analogy um you know if you hand a kid a salad and they don't like it you got to find out why is it the croutons is it the dressing is it the type of lettuce it like what is the thing if they just don't like salad to begin with 
All right, we need to never bring up salad again. But if they just don't like the seasoning or uh, uh, the dressing, do something with different dressing. If like I, I have all of my baseballs, all of my baseballs that we use off of the tee are taped in athletic tape with colors on them, right? So we'll go through and we'll do drills where I'm having them call out colors. I've had a player that is colorblind. He just doesn't like salad. I had to figure out a different meal to prepare him because he couldn't do the drill. I've also had guys that absolutely hate my RBI bat, my little nunchuck bat. Now, okay, Mm -hmm. do you not like that salad because you don't like salad? Or do you not like salad because you don't understand why we need to eat salad? Or two... Go ahead. You're not like salad because you'd rather be eating a double quarter pounder because you're fat and you know salads. <laughs> like, like well, I'm going to tell you, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. like, that's the big thing is, is I, I feel like not enough people are trying to dive in and figure out, oh, right, if this player doesn't like this drill, why don't they like this drill? And I, I tell all my guys, it's, I mean, it's also like video games. Like, you might love the, you know, you might love Call of Duty, and all of a sudden they come out with an update, and that changes how you play Call of Duty. You may like the change, you may not like the change, but until you figure out whether you like it or not, you're gonna feel uncomfortable. You're gonna feel weird. Now, is it uncomfortable because you're just not used to it, or is it uncomfortable because it goes against what you need to be doing? And being able to understand that—that's the massive piece. And I just, I think, like I said, perspective is the big cause of indifference and i feel that one side sometimes more will ask and find out the whys whereas one other side may not be as enticed to find out the whys and you know i'll I'll let the listeners kind of decide who kind of leans on one side or the other and again this is my personal um, experiences and thoughts of what I've, you know, kind of gone through as a player, coach, and an instructor. Um, same thing with JP, but. Yeah, and I think everything we talked about is is just true in general at the end of the day. It's, it's true outside of baseball. Uh, like asking why, being open to having those conversations, understanding everybody's not stupid, everybody has something to teach um, if, you're, if you're willing to have that conversation. Oh, man, I think that was an awesome episode. JP, where can people find you on the socials? You can find me on Twitter at jpfasone1 and find me on Instagram at jp.fasone. I, I got a question. Did you try JP Fasone and it didn't work? So you're just like, ah, fine, <laughs> throwing a one on that? I, I'm sure I typed in my name and it popped up as a suggestion. I just went, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm I'm the one JP Fasone. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love it. Um, For anyone looking to do anything with me, I've actually changed all of my socials. So that way everything is fast underscore RBI, Uh, Twitter, TikTok, uh, YouTube, Twitch, everything fast underscore RBI. Um, want to give a, a little announcement here at Fast. We're actually going to be doing a Halloween game uh, on October 30th. So we're going to be doing a little tournament. Uh, teams of three, three inning games, uh, single elimination. We're doing donations uh, for uh, canned foods, and we're going to look to donate those uh, to a local uh, charity. We're not too sure of which one. We're looking at a few different ones. Um, wanting to try and find one that is like a legit good like food drive, but that isn't like the biggest one around. 
um, really trying to find a, a local one that we know um, that we're going to be able to help as many people as possible. And so uh, with Thanksgiving coming up and stuff like that, uh, really looking to try and do something, but also some fun. So kids are going to be wearing costumes. Um, the big one, the winner of this tournament, the winning team gets a free bid into the Hit Tracks League that we're going to be running. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a yeah. uh, six-week league, doubleheader, seven-inning games, um, teams of three. So if we're playing a seven-inning game, there are three outs in each inning. Um, you are going to be getting at minimal 21 at-bats per game. So that's 42 at-bats minimally in one Sunday. That's going to be competitive off of the machine. Uh, it's going to be fun, man. We're really excited to be able to do something like that. So if anyone's interested, let me know. We can get that set up. You guys can look me up again, fast underscore RBI to ask any questions. Yeah, that's going to be sweet. Those two tracks games are awesome. I'm excited. I'm so pumped. So pumped to start getting something like that rolling. Hopefully we have um, slow pitch softball uh, in the works coming up here soon for one of those as well. Uh, I'm really just trying to do as much as possible. So, um, JP, you got anything else, brother? That's it. This is a good podcast. A lot of, a lot of good good things to think about going forward for the rest uh, of the week. I'm really excited to get uh, this out to the people so that way they can tune in, uh, hopefully become as educated as possible from this. Um, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, any suggestions for the podcast, please let us know. Um, you can again, find us at any of the socials that we mentioned earlier, uh, to everyone listening, appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. And until next week, have a good one. Yeah.